Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino. On this episode, we talk with coach, author, and poet Dale Walsh. Over the years, he has built his coaching skills to help give clients the tools to have meaningful dialogue with their loved ones and improving family interactions. He has had a unique inside-out perspective of schizophrenia and having experienced both sides of the illness from the deep psychosis to recovered freedom. He creates a non-judgmental space where the family members can express their frustrations and anxiety at their daily challenges. He is intent on not only helping forgotten victims deal with their diagnosed loved one, but works at getting clients where they can reclaim their own sense of self. He's got great stories and insights. Enjoy this interview. We could start off first and foremost, Dale. Thank you for taking a minute out to talk with me today. I appreciate it. No problem, Joe. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's start off here. And, you know, if somebody was to bump into you, and they wanted to find out who you are and what you do. How would you describe what you do? Well, I would say, first of all, after 47 years, I'm basically a recovered schizophrenic. I'm a, uh, I, I'm a uh, prodi- uh, prodigious uh, creative and, you know, and, uh, artist. I'm, I've written six books and 5,000 poems, and I'm also... Uh, interested in service, which I, which is reflected in my work that I've been doing for a year of being a financial, uh, a, 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 an enemy of financial literacy. So let's go back to where you were born and raised. Tell me about where you were born and raised, your childhood, and kind of how you got this interest in being a poet and an author and, you know, all of these things that you are. To, to sort of jump in media's race, I uh, I began I, on my tenth birthday. I decided I was going to be a writer with my life. So, uh, you know, that's that's been like my guiding beacon, my north star, ever since I was ten years old. And uh, one of the ironies uh, is that my illness, although it had like many drawbacks and many challenges, allowed me to become a writer that I always wanted to become, even though. I don't have any, you know, any real, like, uh, you know, well, I have five books on Amazon of poetry, but, uh, getting back to my beginnings, uh, it's, it, uh, I was born in Midland, Texas on May 24th, 1955, and on my first birthday, my mother finished, uh, her divorce from my blood father, and, uh, so I moved from Midland to Abilene, Texas, and she remarried quickly. I don't know how quickly she did, but she did remarry. So I had a second father who was the daddy that I knew growing up. I never knew my blood father until later. And uh, so I lived in I lived a totally idyllic uh, existence in Abilene, Texas. I had the only pool in my neighborhood, and this was at the height of the baby boom. So within like three blocks, there were like 20 people within like three years of my age group. So uh, during the summer, uh, we would, everybody would congregate at my house and uh, my mother would buy cases of Dr. Pepper and Coke so everybody could have sodas when they wanted to. And we, uh, it was really like an ideal lifestyle. But then when I was nine, or actually when I was 10, I was snatched from that like almost womb-like environment to the middle of Midtown Manhattan, 72nd Street between 1st and 2nd, because my mother uh, divorced and remarried again, and uh, so that that put my life on a completely different track, and that's when I decided to become a writer, but it's also 
was when I, I, I ended up going to boarding school in New Hampshire for four years, and uh, then I went to Dartmouth College for one year, and I had a very successful freshman year, but ultimately I was doing a lot of drugs, and uh, it caught up with me. And I, I, one Tuesday I was a successful Ivy League student, and the next Tuesday I was in the mental hospital with uh, schizophrenic delusions. So I guess my question is, how did the schizophrenic delusions happen? Was it was it a, was it a biological abnormality? Was it something that you said with the drug? Like for the lay person that hears about this, and we see it presented in movies and whatnot, how would you describe what it is? How would you describe that psychosis? Uh, well, actually, I, I, last year I wrote a book that's still being edited about my what happened to Dartmouth. But basically, it was just like uh, I, I got on like some sort of like uh, divine track. And I, I was walking, my, when, when I got taken away, I was walking around Dartmouth campus telling, going to all my friends and saying, hi, I'm God. And then I would like see how long it was before I burst into hysterical laughter because how could God be five foot eight? And I thought it was the greatest joke I'd ever come up with. But then uh, the campus cops came and said, are you Dale? And I said, yes. And they said, would you come with us? So I said, sure. And I, I was fully expecting them to take me to the president of the university of the college to meet. To meet, and instead they took me to the infirmary where I was interrogated for four hours by three sets of Dartmouth psychiatrists, put in a room, shot full of drugs, and three days later I was in a mental hospital. So I, it was like really a matter of going with the flow because. I, I I did I, a good a good amount of LSD during my even before Dartmouth, but at Dartmouth I must have tripped probably like ten times. And I I, I don't know if you know if you know LSD, but uh, it tends to like uh, make you you know have grandiose thoughts, either paranoid or grandiose thoughts. And so those grandiose thoughts just took a hold of me. And I ran with it because I figured, you know, I, you know, in 1975, everybody was talking about going with the flow. So I went with the flow, and it ended up 13 weeks in a mental hospital and then five years in the psychiatric program in New Jersey. How did you pull out of that? What was it within you that pulled out and got yourself to a better place? Well, one thing was the, the program that I was in, even though I had differences of philosophy with the doctor, he was a very good doctor, and I, I, I was put in an intensive therapeutic situation where I had like three individual sessions and uh, two like hour and a half uh, group sessions every week. And I was also hospitalized nine times when I was in uh, the, in the uh, program. And so basically after five years, I got my, I mean, this is like something that a lot of schizophrenics never happened for them, but... I got my own apartment, and I went back to college at Fairleigh Dickinson University, and that was really where my recovery began because uh, at the program, I, I was one of the reasons I would go to the hospital is I would just feel claustrophobic because it was such a closed community, and I, I would go to the hospital to meet more people and uh, and and stuff like that. So, uh, so I really feel that my 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 growth in my uh, in my recovery began after the program when I got back into Fairleigh Dickinson University 
and started socializing with quote normal people. Who's the hero for you? Who do you look who do you look at as a role model now? Well, my, my, my biggest hero is my stepfather, Judge Walsh. He uh he he was a he he was actually the Iran Contra Independent Council. And uh he was a man of incredible integrity and you know, I would tell everybody, you know, people would say, Well he's a corporate lawyer, how can he have a heart and you know, he's he's just like exploiting or fighting the common people, but uh, he he was like a man of incredible integrity, and I always used to say about him that he had more heart than any other man I've ever known in my life. So, uh, you know, I feel uh, he was my father basically for 44 years until he passed in 2014 at the age of 102, and I just uh, feel, you know, every day I thank the Lord for the blessing of his presence in my life. And my my mother was a you know, was an equally dynamic and charismatic person. So uh, I, I was very lucky when it came to the uh, parental pool. Let me ask you this. If you could meet anybody alive today, who would you love to meet? Who do you admire? Well, you might find this funny, but I, I've, always, I've always admired uh, Derek Jeter and, and Mariano Rivera. Just uh, the, the epit- I don't know if you follow baseball, but... Uh, they they were the epitome of of what the Yankee ideal is, the New York Yankee ideal. And when I was a kid, I uh, collected in Abilene. I collected baseball cards, and I had like a collection of three thousand baseball cards. And my secret dream was always to be a New York Yankee, but uh, I was ball shy because every I would always get hit in the face with 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 balls that I missed catching. So I developed a fear of baseball. So that's where like you know, destroyed that dream, but, uh, and, and I, I guess another person that I really admire is Barack Obama. It's so interesting that you say Mariana Rivera, my wife, which we married back in 19, um, and we've been together for six years, and she was dating somebody from Panama, and actually, he was friends with him, and they had dinner and said, she always talked about that experience. She has a picture with him and said he was one of the nicest people on the planet. Right. So, well, anyway, that's fun. it's funny you say that. Well, I, I mean, I, I don't know how much, I mean, I, I've always been a rabid New York Yankee fan. Ever since. I mean, when, when I was growing up, I had like 400 classic Yankee cards, including like 30 Mickey Mandels and... I lost them when I moved to New York City, but if I had them, I would never have to worry about money again. So that's where the irony of it. But, uh, you know, Derek Jeter was just always a man of, like, upright integrity. And same with Mariana Rivera. You know, they were great athletes, but I always thought they were greater people. So talk to me about these books and what your plan is to get these published. I I call them future fantasies because... uh, well, my my first book is called Slick Dynamo Circus or the Thinking God's Guide to Frisbee. And I, the subtitle of that is The Book of Schizophrenia, which because I wrote it at the height of the height of my psychotic period and even though, you know, it, it's hard to understand, but I think that it could be like a textbook about how the schizophrenic mind works that, you know, no nobody has. And uh so that that was my first book and then uh, my 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 proudest books are uh, what I call the Velvet Velour's Follies trilogy, which is uh, I call it, it's a as I said I I, I consider myself a, fa- a fantasy writer rather than a science fiction writer because I was an English major, not a science not a science uh, you know major. But 
the the Velvet Velour's Follies uh, trilogy is a book that is a apocalyptic romance in the uh, in the shadow of the Cold War, and the uh, climactic book is the uh, second book, which is the Flight of Dialena, which is my spaceship, and so it, it ends with the uh, Russians attacking the United States with uh, neutronic weapons to create the United States of Museum. So basically, the uh, the, the 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 flight of Dialena and the, and the book after that are basically the chronicle chronicle chronicles of the day that the Earth ended. The Earth, you know, the Earth as we knew it, and there was a neutro neuro. Uh, uh, a neutronic uh, war going on between the United States and Russia. So talk to me a little bit about what you went through, you know, the, the psychosis that you went through and how you got out of it. If there's anybody out there that, that has had some of these mental psychosis or issues or bordering on it or trying to get through it and they listen to you and they, and they get immersed in your world, what advice would you give them? How would you help them along? There, there's a thing called agnosognosia, which is a which is a term from neurology used for stroke stroke victims who, for people who can't realize that they have a mental condition, and that's uh that's really like it affects like 50% of people with serious mental illness, and what it means it's not denial because denial is sort of like a conscious uh choice, you know, but whereas agnosognosia is like a deep inner inner lack of knowing you know so consequently you don't you don't think you're sick and uh you therefore you don't need therapy and you don't need medication and i would my my first piece of advice is just be aware that agnosognosia exists and you know and to be open-minded to the fact that you might need help instead of just like rejecting it outright and then uh my my own experience was I never heard voices I never I never hallucinated even when I was on LSD but uh my 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 problem was my delusions and my god thoughts and uh what what happened was after 10 years of being in psychosis uh basically my, I I had an experience where my I I literally blew up my mind my I, my mind was blown and I became a different person. I became an alter ego personality for 30 years. And uh, but uh, another piece of advice I would say is never consider yourself your diagnosis. I mean, don't say I'm a schizophrenic, which I did for many years. Say I'm a person with schizophrenia, and there, there's a gigantic semantic difference in that because when you say I'm a schizophrenic, your whole personality begins to revolve around the idea that you're sick whereas if you say I'm a person with schizophrenia then the schizophrenia is not the dominant thought in your head the the dominant thought in your head is your healthy side which is saying I'm an individual and I can I can get out of this and I actually have a coaching business for schizo for the families of schizophrenia and the uh, the motto of my company is recovery is always an option because I believe that boring suicide. Go back to that time where this psychosis happened for you and you could change things because obviously this formed who you are. Would you change it? Would you do anything different? Well, in an ideal world, I never would have gotten involved in drugs in the first place. 
because my mother had had a mental illness that was never specified what it was, but she was she was on like psychiatric pills for the last seventy years of her life. So, uh, so well, basically the last sixty years of her life. But uh, so I had the biogenetic pre uh, pre predisposition, and I think the drugs, especially the LSD, but I was also smoking pot every day and was very high-quality pot, you know, back for 1975. And, you know, so I look back and I say, well, everything that I did was a learning experience and it's brought me to this point now where I can I can have insight and help people, really help people to deal with schizophrenia, which, you know, I, I mean, there, there's no preparation for someone coming down with schizophrenia. And it's also a very democratic disease and that, you know, it, it can strike anybody. So, you know, I, I just feel that I've been fortunate enough to have the therapy and the understanding and the patience of my loved ones to be able to overcome the situation. But, uh, you know, I know a lot of people, it, it can be very hard, and that that's why I set up my coaching business is to help people, like, deal with the, because ultimately schizophrenia in, in, its, in its classical definition means shattered mind. And basically, once you get it, you aren't going to ever be the same person again. So I encourage my clients to, you know, try to get to know the person their loved one is becoming rather than lament and and cry and have, you know and cry about the person that they've lost because uh you know if you do that you're just going to like be filled with regret and you you're never going to be able to accommodate the new person that's this growing and i do feel that schizophrenia is a growth process and uh it's just um i i meant I, I don't know if I would do anything differently, but I'm very content with the way I've, I've turned out. So what's been the best fan response or, or a client response, so to speak, of, of your coaching? Something um, that you helped them through? Mostly the, the client response has been very positive. You know, I'm a, I, 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 I was building a speaking, uh, a speaking career when uh, COVID hit, so that shut down all my speaking engagements. But... You know, people would come up to me after after I would talk, and they'd say, "Thank you, Dale. You've given us hope." And that that's really what my primary function is as a coach, and, and, and just as a as a recovered schizophrenic is is to be to give these people hope and let them see that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, even though they can't see it through the darkness of their present con- condition. Dale, do you have a poem that you would like to recite? Uh, well. Actually, I have I have I have an introductory poem that I that I uh, recite when uh, when when I'm feeling uh, pretty feisty. But it, it it's called uh, Dale reviewing what actually happened, and it goes like this. And it's it's what I call a Dale, which is my own form. It's uh, six words a line and two sets of nine rhymes apiece. So it goes like this. It goes uh, well advanced at becoming Bob Frost. The darkness on my mind lost. And was for my relief cause put into therapy considerable cost to have my brain teeth flossed by the doctor whom he bossed every night after I'd get sauced doing my duty at the ho- at the doing my duty at the post and hospital where I was host 
and met the beautiful female Jill for whom over dale over hill I trekked when I was ill, even while perfecting even while perfecting poetic skill um, even while perfecting poetic skill I hope we'll pay the bills for for uh sodas on which I fill, and I blew that, but that's a that's the basic uh, poem. No, that's good. No, and we got the beauty of editing at our side. So, Dale, if anybody wants to know about your coaching, any of your poems, books, anything that you're doing, where can they go? How can they find out more about you? Uh, well, actually, I, I I do have a I do have a YouTube show every Tuesday at 3 p.m. It's called Straight, Sane, and Sober, and uh, it, it's a uh, it, it's a general discussion. I, I mean, it's based upon mental health, but it's, it's a general discussion show. And uh, so that's at YouTube, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Tuesdays. And then I have my website, which is www.do.live.love.net. And Live Love is the method I've come up to deal with my clients, which is, uh, it stands for learn, integrate, validate, and explore. And the love is, listen, observe, value, and express. So those are like the eight steps I take my clients through. So my website is uh, www.dew, which is my initials, livelove.net. And uh, if if you're interested in my poetry, then uh, you can go to Amazon, and I have five books of poetry, five collections of poetry. And if you put in the search bar, if you put in the search bar poem poetry by D. E. Walsh, you should be able to find the uh to scroll and find my poetry. And uh then uh the the last thing is uh I have a phone number which is two oh one five oh eight five oh nine oh eight seven one. So the Yankees are gonna have quite a ride here as we get towards the end of the year. They're having a they're having a good run this year. Uh they they're doing amazing and you know, I, 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 they're, they're the greatest team I've, I've seen since the 1980-98 Yankees, which many consider the greatest team in history. So, uh, Judge is incredible, and and they're, you know, they just got some more pitching, and uh, I, I think they're ready for October. But uh, we'll have to see. You know, you never can predict with baseball. Yeah, no, and it would be kind of fun if it was a subway thing. Well, year, I, but, yeah. I, I don't, I don't know if you heard this, Joe, but. The Mets got back to Grom yesterday, and he pitched five innings of one 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 run ball. So you know, wow. they, they, they with the Grom and Scherzer and everybody else, they had you know the Mets are going to be extremely tough. They they have probably and, and then the Astros are also like extremely tough. So I think those are the two teams that the Yankees are going to have to overcome to win the series. But it's been way too long for the Yankees. It's been tw- since 2009 that they. Haven't uh, won a World Series, and that's the longest drought in their history. Yeah, well, they're on their way this year. Dale, man, it was great to get to know you. Thank you for opening up. This was some pretty raw, you know, uh, personal stuff, and I appreciate you sharing it. And uh, good luck, man. You sound great. Sounds like everything's going good. Well, thank you very much for having me, Joe. I, when when I saw the name of your uh, podcast, Famous Interview, I said, wow, well, I'll be famous. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> we'll do our best, man. Dale, thank you. Good luck with everything. And until next time, I appreciate it. Okay, thanks very much, Joe, and have a great day. Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, and music around the globe. If you want to hear more interviews, visit the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino channel on YouTube. Thanks again for listening, and until next time. Thank you.